You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Reality Check Radio. You are with Counterculture. I am Marie. My next guest is Pastor Peter Mortlock from City Impact Church. I'm really delighted to talk to you this morning. Peter, how are you? Great. Thank you, Maria. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your program. Yes, I'm great. Thank you. Excellent. Now, first, tell me a little bit about the evolution of City Impact Church. Sure. Well, uh, 41 years ago now, which is a chunk of time, isn't it? A bit of a lifetime ago. Um, as a young 33-year-old, um, I, I, if I just simply say, uh, God called me and uh, he put a call in my heart. And so my wife and I planted City Impact Church. We started out in Browns Bay, just in a little uh, hall from council, St. Anne's Hall. Uh, they gave it to us free in those days, which was nice. But uh, And so we planted church and had about 40 people come along, put an ad in the paper and away we went. And to some degree, the rest is history. But all I can say is God's been very, very, very good to us on the journey. And now we see you know, our church, obviously, uh, reaching around the world in, in various ways, which we may get into. Um, and so it began really with what I would call a call of God. Mm. Mm. And what are some of the greatest things that you look back at at that time and you think I, you really, it blows you away that you've been able to achieve in that time? Yeah. What are some of the highlights? Well, I, I I tell the story that um, I remember my, my mother-in-law, who was actually married to a Presbyterian minister, and uh, I remember saying to her, you know, I don't feel ready. And she said, you know, if you wait till you're ready, you'll never get around to it, right? And so I was a very successful real estate salesman back then. I was selling new housing. I was New Zealand's top new housing salesman uh, for seven years running. Um, but prior to that, um, prior to me getting saved when I was 21, I had a very wild, misspent youth, had about 40 jobs by the time I was 20. So I've been around a bit, but I, I, I had a very bad speech impediment when I was young. I couldn't really speak to the age I was five completely. Then from five to seven, I started so badly that nobody could understand me. And so I was brought up in Taranaki. I'm just a, a simple guy from Taranaki, is what I say. Uh, brought up in a small town, Stratford, born in Hara. And so I, like most Kiwis back then, you know, you ate wheat bicks and rode horses and swam, played rugby and all those things. And I did all those things. Never dreamed that I would be, first of all, in, in the big city of Auckland, because I'm not a city person, but likewise preaching to thousands of people, having a television program that screens around the world in 232 countries, having churches around the world, orphanages in India and so forth, so forth. And, and so, you know, what God's done in and through my life has been quite miraculous because I could say, but and not with a false humility, but with all uh, humbleness. You know, it certainly hasn't been my brilliance that's done it. Uh, obviously, great people have come along and joined the vision and uh, been able to help me with that journey to bring about all that we, we see today. You know? mm. Let's actually head down that direction of what you've achieved, because when I had a look at your website, which is very good, by the way, um, having someone that I work in a little bit in that space, your website right. is most excellent. I was amazed at how much work and outreach that you have achieved in that time, as you mentioned, in multiple countries, but also to what I call the parallel structures. So for many of us in recent times, we've become increasingly frustrated with governance and how our communities are starting, and we are looking at ways to 
find our own path and go our own way. Whereas you've been doing that now for decades. So what are some of the things that you do from both a community and outreach perspective in places such as India and Vietnam and the like? Sure. Um, we have campuses in, as you say, in India. I think we've got about 67 campuses in India, uh, two orphanages. And so we support those campus passes because obviously they're in places where they're not able to support their own income. Uh, we help with buildings, put up buildings for them and so forth. Likewise in Tonga, uh, Philippines, Mexico, uh, and uh, a variety of other places. We have 42 medical clinics in, in China. We build the medical clinic and we stock it. Uh, we got three in Miramar and I think four or five in Nepal. We just built a new one in, in Nepal as well. And so these are in very rugged um, places that are hard to get to where there's no medical help for these people. And so they're connected to a local church that helps them obviously spiritually as well as physically. Um, and so as we go in there and we, we, we buy the land and build the building, and stuck it with medical supplies. We also have had teams of doctors go to these places, and so they will, um, you know, see hundreds of patients, obviously, um, in that time that they're there. And um, so we not only do a lot of community work abroad, but but likewise here in New Zealand. Um, for example, we just did a, a blanket and pyjama drive. We gave out 10,000 blankets, pyjamas, 10,000, which is quite a lot for one church to do. Uh, a lot of it went in, in, well, went right across the city, um, a lot in South Auckland, obviously, because we've got campuses there. Um, but we also have what we call Community Impact Days. So four days a year, we mobilise the church and we get hundreds of volunteers coming out and we will go into homes uh, of whether it's disabled people, uh, grandchildren, bring up grandchildren, people who need help. And we work with other social agencies. Uh, we have we have people employed on staff, of course, full time just for this role. And Mary Kath, who's very well known in this, this area, she works with other social agencies. And often we're given referrals that nobody else can help or nobody else wants to help. Um, we've had uh, houses that people have been hoarding for years. Just You possibly have seen them on uh, Not Ours mm -hmm. on TV, because, but, you know, like that where the house is just stacked with stuff, we'll go and clean them out sensitively and um, we we paint houses. We, uh, we, we'll do the, the grounds often. We make over. Um, sometimes we put in a new kitchen and carpet, but normally it's more cosmetic and, you know, mm -hmm. with groundwork and so forth. So on one Saturday, we will do over 70 houses, which, you know, sounds a lot. Um, and so we have teams, mobilised teams into those areas. It was all, it's all scope of works. It's all sorted out and done out. And, uh, and not only that, we'll go and help other childcare centres. We used to go to the hospital. And um, we'd go to the Waitakere Hospital and North Shore Hospital. But the health and safety regulations have become so, so horrendous to work in those organisations. We used to be able to clean the hospital beds and everything. Um, and even though they're such short staff, but now, for example, this is how ridiculous, you know, I know you possibly bring up wokeism, but how ridiculous is this? We go in there and we put up all the Christmas decorations. We did it for uh, over a decade at the North Shore Hospital. All the Christmas decorations 
throughout all the wards. We have registered electricians on site uh, in the church, but we were not allowed to plug in the Christmas lights to test them. I mean, you know, I mean, this is like it just got so ridiculously hard. Obviously, you know, ladders and, and anything like that just to, you know, put up a bit of tinsel. And so um, we don't no longer do that. But we went into um, palliative care units, built TV units in the hospitals and all that sort of thing. So, so yeah, our community days are pretty well known. And, and obviously, you know, it's a credit to the people that come out and, and give of their time to do that. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, Christian entities have always been very strong in the charitable space and you're experts at it. What do you see are some of the areas where government is failing socially? Like government will work with some organisations but not others. Have you just gotten to a point where you look at where they're failing and go, you know what, we're going to go our own way and fill those gaps? Or do you work cooperatively with them or do you just uh, have your own Yeah, we do work with other social agencies and and some government social agencies. I mean, there's an old saying, you know, if you find a need and meet it and find a hurt and heal it. And so obviously as um, Bible-believing Christians, you know, we not only want to share the good news of Christ, which is ultimately, you know, the the, the main um, thrust of our ministry because it's not much, if, if I said it's not much good sending um, well-fed people to hell in that sense. So obviously to bring them to Christ, to talk about heaven, eternity, you know, that's a, that's a big part of what we do. But likewise, it's not much good just saying to a person, God bless you if they're hungry and you, you don't feed them. So we actually feed thousands of people. We have a, I forget how many, that, like during COVID, we gave out thousands of meals, uh, like a lot of people did. We obviously, you know, as you say, a lot of churches, that, that, that I, I don't think whether the government's aware or people are aware, if every church, and obviously the Salvation Army are well known for their social services, and so they should be. All credit to them, William Booth, the founder, and so forth, a great man of God. Um, but but there's so many other churches that do what we do. Some obviously not as not as large. The larger the churches, the more they should be able to do. Um, like we, uh, when the floods happened down in the Gisborne area, we um, sent three truckload and trailer loads of supplies down there. Worked through a good friend, a pastor down there, Pastor Norm McLeod, and uh, we also hired a helicopter and went into mm-hmm. areas where where uh, you couldn't get a truck into, loaded with supplies as well. And so, you know, we we funded all that. Uh, as I said, a small church of thirty people would struggle to do that. I get that, and so it's good to be able to do those things. Um, um, but, you know, we do, as I said, work with other agencies. But I, I think, you know, it's a bottomless bucket, uh, the needs in New Zealand right now, the poverty, the homelessness, um, you know, uh, families that are struggling. Uh, it's not just, uh, you know, no one church obviously is going to meet those needs. And and the government, um, well, we I don't really want to talk about the government right now. <laughs> I just kidding. Um, but, you know, they've got a role to play, obviously. But, um, yeah, the country is in, is in trouble. I think most people are aware of that mm. and there is I've I mean I as I said to you before we got started I'm like what I like to call myself as an open-minded agnostic and right. even for someone like me I have seen what I as as to use a term a demonizing almost of people with Christian faith in the Christian church within this woke ideology and so the ideology sets everybody else into oppressor or oppressed classes they have this weird structure of how they 
define people within certain religions and Christianity is certainly from their perspective found themselves on the wrong side of the fence. How have you seen any impact of wokeism within the church? Because I know in the United States there's a real battle going on between those who are quite progressive thinking within the church versus those who are quite conservative leaning. And and obviously there's a lot of issues here. I mean, you know, the whole critical race theory, the colonialism, uh, the LGBT thing. There's just so many different issues today um, that, you know, can generate uh, misunderstanding towards Christians and uh, particularly ones who want to uh, believe the Bible. And um, and it's, it's not just uh, in New Zealand, it's, it's globally. I mean, Jesus did say, of course, that, you know, there would be persecution, particularly in the latter days. And Christianity has been persecuted over the years, as a lot of some other religions have as well. Um, but Christianity, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Like when when people bang their hand with a hammer, they don't say all oh, Buddha or Krishna mm. or, or, or Muhammad. They say all oh, Jesus. You know, like mm. there's something about that name. I mean, I can I can go into a pub, a hotel, talk about anything, and and if I bring up Jesus, all of a sudden there's a reaction. You know, because we do live in a spiritual world. We, we are far more spiritually a spiritual person than he, we I know we focus a lot on the material and on the on the outer you know we spend a lot of time in the mirror combing the hair and and all that kind of stuff but we are a spirit being we're a tripartite being we've got a body we've got a soul we've got a spirit our soul is our mind will and our emotion but our spirit and soul live forever our body dies and go to the ground I mean you say you're agnostic which I appreciate but you know if you just step out of the star if you just step out one night go out and look at the starry sky look up because the heavens say they display the glory of God and you look up at them, everybody asks themselves, where did I come from? Where am I going? What is there to life? There's got to be more to life than this and uh, than just eating and drinking and being merry. And so everybody asks those big questions. Now, sometimes people just want to ignore them, shove them down and just, you know, <laughs> just uh, kind of pretend they don't exist. But, you know, when everybody attends a funeral, for example, um, they know there's a, a big issue and that everybody's going to face death. And obviously, if you know where you're going, when you go, it's not the big issue that for some people, it's not the fear that some people have of it. So, so I think that... Um, you know, today we live in a very secular society, unfortunately. Helen Clark, who did um, social engineer our country, and she declared up in Waitangi uh, a decade ago now, you know, our, our New Zealand no longer a Christian nation, uh, but a secular nation. And New Zealand was based on Christian values, Christian principles. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the in fact, the whole Western world, that's why the Western world was blessed. I mean, you look at the whole universities, doc, uh, you know, um, hospitals, education. It was all Christians at the forefront of that. And so to try to do away with the Christian history, which a lot of people want to do, is unbelievably ridiculous, you know. Mm. Are you seeing a rewriting of history? I, I think there are a lot of people who would like to rewrite history. Uh, I think we've got some history in New Zealand who people would like to re- re- rewrite. As a, uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of um, – uh, I grew up in New Zealand, which was, I felt, racially harm, harmonious. Um, you know, I grew up obviously in the 50s, 60s, you didn't have to lock your car, you didn't have to lock your house, everybody got on with one another. There's maybe one murder a year, like the crew murder that was so world famous, so famous. 
um, you know, these ram raids that we see today. And, and of course, also, you know, we could talk about three three waters. We could talk about, you know, the, 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 the signs they want to put on the roads and all these things. And they're very divisive for people. And so, unfortunately, you know, people are becoming um, uh, racist and, and, be, and there's, you, know, you know, there's backlash and so forth. And it's such a shame and it's so sad to see um, that that people are polarizing around these issues, where you know, as I said, we all bleed red. You know, every one of us. Yeah. Um, and uh, Christianity brought a lot to this nation. Uh, Mary's had a tremendous revival. Um, you know, when Samuel Marsden was here, and uh, so you know, obviously things are changing, and it's a brave new world. It's, mm-hmm. it's happened since COVID, of course. You know, they well, they said, hey, you know, the new, the brave new world. They talked about the new normal and all these kind of things and we see it unfolding before our eyes and and so global globalization is on the agenda for anybody's got their ears open and it's it's in many ways and many factors and and uh you know so it's, it's going to be mm. it's, it's going to be very interesting I've, I've said to the church um because you know i'm a pretty obviously um um what can i say i won't say strong in the sense but you know we know what we believe right and I say there's going to be three uh, things that face face um, that we have to face, and they'll be challenging. And of course, uh, AI will be one of those things. AI will change the world in the next ten years, like like perhaps we don't realise today. You know. Mm. You mentioned Brave New World before. Have you read Brave New World? My I did answer? years ago before I was a Christian, actually, Huxley's book, but George L. Wellen. I mean, obviously, you know, they were quite prophetic in what they mm, said. We see it exceptionally. Come, we see it come to pass, you know. But the Bible also, of course, is a prophetic book. And so you don't have to read the book of Revelation. And, um, you know, we know how all this ends up. I mean, you know, what's happening today, even in the world, is, is written in the pages of the Bible. And of course, you know, I guess if you believe in in the mark of the beast six 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 and the antichrist, you're a conspiracist, aren't you? Until it, you know, they say a conspiracy theory is only only as good as until it comes to come to pass. You know. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, the chap that I do the next piece actually he comes up um, next. Uh, we talk about quite often build back better, and he's, he said those BBBs look very like six six sixes to me. <laughs> so he's... well, there's a fact of the. I mean, the the thing is, of course, I I don't know, but I was. I, I saw the writing on the wall very early in that, and I just thought there's got there's a global agenda here. Every every world leader, particularly the World Economic Forum leaders, were were singing off the same song sheet, you know, saying the same things, believe the science, and and I think you know when Jacinda Ardern said, um, you know, I am the sole, we are the sole source of truth. Um, everybody should have been very concerned and up, upset about that, and 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 push back on that. For anybody to say that, you know, I mean, uh, it would be fair for me to say that God is a sole source of truth, and the Bible is. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, I make mistakes. I'm just a, a you know a person that is. Um, got saved and, you know, who's imperfect, but God uses imperfect people, you know. Mm. So I've made plenty of mistakes in my life, but um, made some good decisions as well. So let's talk about COVID because COVID was incredibly challenging, especially, and I think one of the things that I hated that transpired during COVID was how using the guise of safety, communities and individuals were separated and forced to be alone and i thought that that was one of the cruelest things because we are a social being and one thing that you provide Mm. is you provide community for so many that that require it 
How did you handle that? How did you, as such a large organisation, keep all of your congregation and your people together and provide support? And, and that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, COVID, the vaccine was so divisive, as you know, and that's where I knew where it came from. It came from the pit of hell, anything that divides families, uh, divides churches, divides communities and so forth. We saw some very sad scenes, did we not? Even the Queen, when she was alive at, a, at her husband's funeral sitting by herself. I mean, that was one of the saddest scenes. We saw old people kissing each other through cellophane, um, saying goodbye to each other. We saw, you know, old people dying alone. I mean, let's be honest, they would have rather died with their loved ones around the bed and all catch COVID. You know, I mean, it was just, it was just absolutely um, uh, saddening. And uh, obviously the vaccine, um, you know, a lot of people took it. They, they, they thought they were doing the right thing. They took it to keep their jobs. Um, they took it so they could travel. That didn't work out too well, did it? They, the borders were closed, you know. Um, and uh, I, uh, Jacinda Ardern actually rang rang me um, personally to try, uh, as a as a church, as a pastor of a larger church, to, to get me on board with you know their agenda to lock down to segregate congregations. And I refused to segregate the congregation. Jesus would never turn away anyone. Uh, he wouldn't turn away a leper. I mean, obviously, unvaxxed people were kind of like called unclean. That's what lepers were called, right? And so I wasn't prepared to segregate anybody on that on that basis, that's for sure. Um, and unfortunately, I saw a lot of pastors segregating their congregations and, and, and a lot of people got hurt because they felt they were no longer welcome at their church, no longer, um, you know, loved in their church. And, and that was sad. And uh, obviously, we wanted to, um, I mean, we we're Christians. I didn't want to go out of the way and be rebellious to government and not, and I wanted to try to work within their framework. We ended up holding um, rooms of 25 because I wasn't prepared to run vaccinated services because that meant every worker had to be vaccinated. Um, I had nurses in, in my in, and teachers in in our church who lost their jobs for it. I mean, we had a lot of people that took the vaccine as well, of course. And so um, I wasn't prepared to um, segregate, and so we ran unvaccinated service. So we had to, we had about I think uh, twenty five or thirty rooms with twenty five people in them, and just run those multiple times, sort of thing. Um, and um, you know, we found ways around it. Um, and we, we, I, if I said push the envelope, because you allowed X amount of workers um, uh, in those meetings, and so we had a lot of workers, you know, and so forth. So. I mean, I, I just found the whole thing so sad and it was really about control and fear. I mean, to be honest, today you see people driving around in their car by themselves with the windows up with the mask on. I mean, you know, I often say to people, how thick can you be and still breathe? Why would you? I mean, it just defies logic. And, um, you know, but the fear. And um, so I was very, very strong on the anti-mandates. I mean, the government tried to tell us that 60 teachers refused to take the, take the jab, so they lost their jobs. Now they've come out and said there's 3,000. No wonder our, our teaching, uh, you know, for so, you know, um, are in a mess, and, and likewise the health industry. They still won't allow unvaccinated nurses back and uh, unvaccinated doctors back. A lot of people don't realise that. So, so it's and it's no longer, you know, it's the health authorities now. And so, and and I say to people now. 
and this is controversy, I guess, but I say to people, because ah, I do a lot of posts about it, I do a lot of, uh, even though I get banned on Facebook all the time, shadow banned and all that kind of stuff, but people can find me on petermortlock.com. But I say to people, look, let's just be honest. A vaccine is supposed to protect you from whatever it is, like TB, polio, they work. But this vaccine did not work. People got vaccinated, they still caught COVID. And mostly, by my research, they caught it worse than people who were unvaccinated. And so, you know, why don't they just admit it didn't work? Why are they still pushing it? And then it was, you know, get vaccinated, you won't pass it on to your loved one. Well, even, even Pfizer admitted that they did no test whatsoever on transmission. So that was just a, a lie. And uh, then it was get vaccinated, you won't get hospitalized. They just kept pushing the boundaries. I mean, Biden, Jacinda, because I got them all on on film, you know, on clips saying these things, you know, oh, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. If you're unvaccinated, the COVID's coming, knocking at your door. Even even you're killing, you know, unvaccinated people are killing vaccinated. I mean, it just got crazy. Mm. And, um, and it was all over what should be a voluntary thing to take a medical uh, procedure. And um, I don't care if people got vaccinated or unvaccinated. I wasn't going to discriminate, but it should be an individual choice. And we should not be for and coerced, bribed with hamburgers and teddy bears. And, you know, there's got to be something up. I mean, we know Pfizer made $65 billion, so you only have to follow the money. But but the thing was, was that, you know, the people who are dying with COVID now in hospital, presumably, they've been, obviously, they've been vaccinated. So, so I mean, it didn't, you know, it didn't do it didn't do what they said it would do. And I mean, I think people have got to be honest about that. They can defend it all they all they like, but um, it didn't it didn't achieve what they said it would. And so, mm-hmm. and uh, when when I listen to other medical experts, like and we all know who they are, Robert Maloney, Peter McCulloch, and so many others. And I've done a lot of research. And when you listen to these people who know what they're talking about better than, as I've said, been very open about it, better than my, our Michael Baker, to be honest. I mean, these are uh, Robert Maloney. He invented the RMA, and you know, but they were all misaligned. They were all ridiculed. They were all um, just rubbished. And you know, and I thought, wow, why is that? And it's just like crazy. And then even ivermectin, just to, you know, be a little bit more controversy on your program. I mean, you know, they called it a horse manure, even on Joe Rogan. Everybody knows it's it's not just a horse um, feed. It's a human thing as well. It won a Nobel Peace Prize. And you could get it before COVID, but as soon as COVID came, they took it off the market and tried to persuade people not to do it because it was dangerous. It wasn't dangerous. And you look at the African countries that take ivermectin for malaria, they, they had very few COVID cases. So, I mean, I just think there's just so much. And uh, I've probably talked enough about it for you, but I just think <laughs> that, you know, people, um, Mark Twain said something interesting. He said people would rather believe a lie than believe that they were lied to. And uh, I know people were very genuine in there. And, of course, you know, I had people who struggled with what I was saying and and, um, and what I was thinking. But, but you know, they loved me enough. They, they put up with me, so that was good. <laughs> Do you think there's a pandemic of pride amongst our political class at the moment? Well, uh, you know, let's be honest. We uh, are politicians just for the, for the people, right? And they're supposed to... Serve the people, and we don't see that at all. What what we see is politicians furthering their agenda, uh, and this is a sad thing: is they all go down there with their own agenda. And again, I've been quite vocal about it. I mean, you know, you have um, um, 
I'm just trying to think. Well, you know, Georgina Bar, she brought in the the prostitution one. You had Barnett and so forth. And then um, I'm just trying to think of all their names now. They bring in a policy and then they leave politics. And, uh, you know, obviously she's passed on now, sadly. But others, I mean, uh, Sue Bradford, the anti-smacking bill, she brought that in. She's no longer there now, but the whole of the country have to live with, with that legislation that she brought in. And today we've got kids completely out of control. Now, I'm not talking about child abuse, and we, we've got to under, I mean, any common sense person understands there's a huge difference between child abuse and child discipline. And when your little one's going to put the hand on a hot stove one too many times, you might give a little tap to keep the keep the hand off the hot stove because you know that that tap is going to be better than burning for life and a scarring for life. And so, you know, I was brought up, obviously, um, I mean, we got the strap at school, I'll be honest, and so forth, but the strap kept me out of a lot of trouble. Now, am I saying bring back the strap at school? I'm not necessarily saying that. But parents have lost the ability to to discipline their children in a way to keep them on the straight and narrow. And so we got today, even in the classrooms, classrooms, some classrooms are out of control. They just swear at the teachers, they walk out of class, and, you know, and so there's no disciplines going out the window. So what I'm saying is a lot of these politicians, they go to government with the agenda, and we could, you know, name a whole lot. The, I mean, the Greens and the Marys, they've got their agenda, let's be honest, very clear. And often, as I said, they get the agenda in, and then they, they leave, and they leave us with the mess. Where, I mean, they should really, and a lot of the big decisions take national referendums and the, the will of the people. And I could go back over things that that the majority of people have been against, but the government will still go ahead and put it through. And we've got to live with it. And, of course, what you legalise, you normalise. And so now everybody's happy with that or happy with that, but they're not seeing the fruit. You've got to look at the fruit of of society today and say, why have we, why, why is society like this? We never, ever had these ram raids. I mean, just in Albany the other day, man with an axe goes into three restaurants, an axe, you know, and, 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 and beating tables and people. I mean, this is this is unbelievable. What's happened to society? Well, we've turned our back on God, haven't we? And and we we've thrown the Bible out of schools. We we've taken prayer out of Parliament in the name of Jesus. And so society has become godless. And so, you know, a lot of people want monetary reform, and monetary reform is important. But you know, the five dollar over prescription. People are arguing over that. But my Bible tells me that it's righteousness that exalts a nation. It's not monetary reform. If we got, you know, some righteous laws back, I think our nation would be a lot more better off. And so I see, you know, when a nation turns us back on God, it's like God withdraws his hand of blessing over that nation. New Zealand was once called God's own. One's called God's own country. I mean, we've got no wild animals, not like Australia, no crocodiles, no poisonous animals really to speak of, apart from the caterpillar. I've never seen one in my life. But the thing is, is that, you know, it's a, a beautiful country, beautiful country. And, um, you know, it's just such a shame that the way we're going um, and it's going downhill very, very quickly. You're with Counterculture with Marie. I'm talking to Pastor Peter Mortlock from the City Impact Church. I want to pick up education with you because you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I think it feeds into all of these other things. I've seen an education system. I've got two boys at the senior end of high school now, and in the time that they have been going through the schooling system, 
it is imploded. It's from This is my view as a parent. We have now got our boys in uh, the Catholic school system, and neither my husband nor I are Catholic, and we did that because we wanted them to be in a schooling environment that provided ethics, structure, support, and really good quality pastoral care. So even as a secular family, we could see that value. You've gone one step further and created your own schooling system. How is that working? What sort of outcomes are you getting for your congregation, your family, and those wishing to attend your schools? I mean, this is great. And again, you're talking to a kid who dropped out of school at 15, right? Didn't even get a school C. And uh, to think that, you know, we pioneered and founded a school. And obviously, you know, our principal and teachers are way more educated than what, what I am. Um, and uh, I could just boast on our school all day long. And and I, as I said, I could boast because I've had nothing to do with it apart from obviously the visionary of it and founding it and and uh, you know encouraging them and so forth, so forth. Just just right, just today we had a poster come through from uh, Auckland University. Um, uh, Auckland University poster with four students on it, uh, promoting their business section. One of those students, uh, Jordan Pratt, and it's got their City Impact Church School. Um, we do Cambridge. Um, we have excelled some of the, the top students. Even they've got top marks even worldwide, uh, which is incredible, and in New Zealand. So I'm just so proud of our school. Um, it's very hard to have a, a private Christian school in New Zealand, and the reason for that is we get no funding from the government whatsoever. Is Well, when I say whatsoever, we may get about 50000 a year, um, but like all our buildings and all that, we have to um, build our, ourselves. And we're not like other private schools where we charge high fees. So most of the other private schools here on the shore, say, for example, with a child, it's about 30000 a year. Our, ours is only 10000 and I don't even want to charge that, but we have to to obviously pay for the teachers. So the school, the church funds the buildings and so forth. We've got excellent facilities, science labs and all that kind of stuff. And... Um, and uh, so, so our school, as I said, I've just been so impressed. And you're right that the secular um, state system is in abs- absolute disarray. I mean, I mean, uh, without just talking about one one thing, but I am totally opposed to the sexualization of kids at the moment from the LGBT community, their gender. Now we all know a lot of nice gay people, are not, and a lot of gay people are anti uh, that too, by the way. But I mean, they are bringing they are bringing kids on now, even in child child care centres. We've got five child care centres throughout New Zealand, and they're wanting us to teach in childcare, which we don't, of course. That. Mummy and daddy might have said you're a boy or girl, but you can choose to be whatever you want to be. This is kindergarten stuff, you know, who they should not even be thinking about that. And that, you know, they're teaching their private parts, playing with their private parts. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And as you know, in the school system, you know, teenagers, uh, you know, puberty blockers, uh, even operations, life, life life-changing operations and we're going to be a huge kickback on that and so you know this is all happening in a in a and and today you can't uh in a secular school even if a teacher just stands up and uh, says look i believe in a boy and a girl <laughs> you know and you know all these personal pronouns and all this rubbish you know this it's just unbelievable so so i just thank god that we are able to create a school where kids are safe and where they get a, a fantastic education as well. 
Um, and, um, you know, so as I said, I couldn't be more proud of her school. And I think mm. that they'll become, as you just have said, even, uh, you know, as you admittedly am not labeling you in any way an agnostic parent, but you've got your kids in a Christian school because you understand the values and the morals. And, and that's what I said, even when my boys, my boys, um, I've, I've got two sons, uh, they're, uh, you know, around the age of 15 now, so they're totally grown up. But when they're at school, I put them in private schools because I said to them, I don't really care necessarily from my perspective how how brilliant they are at university. I want them to have good values, good morals, and to get on with other people. If you've got good values and good morals and get on with other people, you know, be polite, uh, the world's your oyster, right? Um, and, and so, you know, our school, I'd like to think that all the students here, you walk around the school and it's an absolute delight. People come there and they say they can't believe how well-behaved these kids are. Now, of course, not every child who goes to our school comes to City Impact Church. We call it City Impact Church School because it's under the vision of the church. Um, and uh, we do, obviously, Christian education there as well, biblical worldview. But not every not, – it's like our child care centres. Probably 80% of our, of our kids in the child care centres don't come to our church. And our school is probably about – um, 70% of our students come to our church and because we've got a very large church and um, 30% from outside the church. So, you know, uh, we're very open for people coming along and we have open days and all that sort of stuff for, for parents to look at. Mm. And um, you must have read about the maths teacher that's been recently lost his yeah. registration. I mean, that is utterly ridiculous. Yeah. And it's going to happen more and more. Um, you know, I mean, the whole conversion therapy bill that came through, even if kids want help today. I mean, as you know, I mean, girls walk around. When I went to school, girls walked around the playground hand in hand. That's what girls do. It doesn't mean to say they got lesbian tendencies or that they're gay, but today they're labelled gay. Um, and so, you know, they're taught they're gay. So they, you know, and so people go down that path. Where I've said, you know, it's not a good term, but it's like we are – I use a term we're breeding a whole generation of of, of sexually confused people. Um, but we are, and these are the kids I'm talking about. Adults can do what adults want to do. Everybody's accountable. I say people are accountable to God at the end of the day. We'll all come before God. We'll all give an account. I thank God for the, the blood of Christ that cleanses, you know, those who believe in him of their sin. But the thing is, is that everybody gives it. So what adults do um, adults do, but the kids, leave the kids alone because they're not, you know, no kid um, at 12, 13 should be taught um, about anal sex and all these things. I mean, it's just, and so we are educating kids these days to, um, into the these kind of lifestyles. Yeah, I, the conversation I've just had before I've um, spoken to you is with an 80-year-old transsex woman and she was fascinating and she is she shares your concern she is so angry mm. about all of this uh education that's going on with the kids and right. it's yeah it is really it is quite frightening and as a parent mm. it is difficult you know because you want to shield your children from this and i think it's time i think a lot of people need to sort of stand up and speak out and you must see it within your congregation so like i find that particularly within government they there's a lot of work and even within the rainbow community there's a lot of work to try and have everyone as if they speak with a single voice right and you and i know that that is not the case and i see it like ethnically with maori and polynesian for example they try to um those in government say 
and I think even um, Rawiri Waititi from Te Party Māori even said, I speak for the single source of Māori. It's like, I am the voice of Māori. No, you're not. Right. You know, it's, and so do you see, is there a despair or a, a frustration from congregation members who may fall into these minority groups because they are they do they just sort of put their hand up and say no i'm i'm very confident about where i'm going and do they despair too by being lumped in with these these other groups and a belief that there is a universal voice for maori or a universal voice for someone who is gay or or so yeah. forth well i've got a lot of great friends who who are maori and i we, i got uh, hundreds of maori people in the church and polynesian people you go to our mount wellington church and i stand out you know sort of thing so so you know and i got i got great people but as we know within uh, maridom they are very um you know there's a lot of opinions i won't say they're all divided but all the all the all the iwis and and you know the tribes um, you know they've all got their opinions, and so to say, I speak for all of Maritime would be would be wrong. Same for me to say that I speak for all church in New Zealand. I don't. I speak for City Impact Church, and um, I'd like to think that um, you know that I can I, I can speak for Christ in the sense of what the Bible says and so forth. Um, but to say for people to say that um, I speak for all of Maritime or all of this this sector society is it's just not right. It's just it's, you know, I think it's wrong. And there's a lot of frustrated people, but a lot of people don't want to speak up because they're scared of being labelled. I mean, let's be honest, you know, um, name shaming today is big, you know, like homophobic, bigot and all these things. And, and I mean, they're just name shaming and people get embarrassed over them. And it's just unfair that people, you know, would, would, would call people names like that when they're not necessary that. You know, it's like today, people like myself, um, you know, people, I just read, read something and, and like uh, the guy in America and anybody who was anti the mandates, for example, was a white supremacist and, um, you know, and um, uh, uh, anti-democracy and all this kind of rubbish. And so you get all these labels that people want to, put on you if you got a differing an opinion today or just a differing thought. And, and people don't want to talk about it. They just want, you know, but I come back, like, if I just bring what I was mentioning before about, like, Sue Bradford with the end, because it's an easy one to pick on, uh, rather than the the, the the homosexual reform bill and all that, um, but because we, we've moved on a lot. But the thing is, is that when, when Sue Bradford introduced that bill, 90% of New Zealanders did not want that bill to go through, you know. They wanted the right to discipline their children the way they saw By the way, child abuse has not gone down since that bill was introduced, of course. We knew that wouldn't happen. Bob McCoskey on Family First has a lot of great stuff on all this stuff that I'm talking about, speaks on it far better than what I do. But as I said, here was, see, so again, those politicians did not listen over the anti-smacking thing to the will of the people. They just, they're, they're there to serve themselves. They're there, they serve and then they get their pension and they live for happily, get a post somewhere or whatever, you know. And But they don't listen to the people they're supposed to serve, you know, and, and people aren't stupid. Um, and uh, it's like even the protest at Wall in Wellington. Not one politician would come out and talk to the protesters. That was a peaceful protest up until the last day. Um, and, I mean, even Chris Hipkins, he's been in protests. He you know what protests are about, you know. And you give it, you, you're wanting to uh, say something to the government. And that was, that was quite a – I mean, I was not part of, but I was at um, the rugby game when the Springbok Tour protests were on, right? 
And, uh, I mean, they were so violent. I mean, I was at the game and, I mean, people were wearing crash helmets and baseball bats and they were attacking the police. I mean, hello, Wellington had nothing on that. And yet, you know, they say Wellington was the worst day in history in New Zealand for, for protests. That's not true. Um, but, but as I said, not one politician would come out and talk and listen what were the concerns of the people there? And there was such a variety of people there. There weren't only Christian people. There were Hare Krishna people. There was secular people. There were agnostic people. Um, you know, there were people who lost their jobs and so forth, so forth. And, and these were ordinary New Zealanders. So, so that's why I said politicians, unfortunately, you know, are very self-serving today and mm. uh, very out of touch with a lot of the people, you know. Yeah, they certainly are. But speaking of name-shaming, um, you and I actually have fallen in the crosshairs of the same journalist, uh, Mr. David Farrier. Oh, nice. Yes, I know. It's delightful the wee worm. Well, as I said, I mean, I heard David caught COVID. I wrote to him and wished him well. I said, I hope you don't get too sick. I hope you get better. And um, as I said, I pray for my enemies as well as my friends, and I do wish him the very best. Obviously, he's got an agenda, and... um, but as, uh, the the agenda is not only so blatant, I, I hate the way he goes around it, um, just attacking people. I, you know, I just, it's just, it's sad. And he destroyed um, good friends of mine, John and Gillian Cameron in a rice church, who were good friends of mine, who did nothing to resign, but he just, you know, and I won't, I won't give him the credit for destroying them, but the media, the media mm-hmm. is very slanted in New Zealand. And so, what? you know, why do you th- why do you think the media have have it out for large contemporary churches like yourself? Uh, the the mega churches, as Faria yeah. calls them, I could say that they don't understand and they get worried when so many people um, are coming along. And so, I mean, you know, our churches, you know, we have more people coming along than anybody else on a Sunday. And, um, you know, so they're worried about that. I mean, you look at the attack of another friend of mine, good friend, Brian Tamaki, and, you know, and the attacks that he's had to undergo over the years through by the media. And yet, you know, just for example, uh, down in, in Hastings in, in the Esk Valley, he had a thousand men, a thousand, he mobilized a thousand guys to give up their time of their holidays to go down and help people clean their houses. Did you see that in the media? No, you didn't see that in the media. Because I live in Napier. So I was very aware of the man up teams yep. that had come down. Now that he's also involved in politics, it'll only get worse. I mean, I just did a post this morning. I mean, you know, you don't, because um, the reason I did the post was I wanted to congratulate um, Stuff News for the first time I saw what I would consider, and I'm digressing a little bit, a negative uh, story about Joe Biden. It said that he uh, had five things wrong in the speech. And so what I've said is that. And I'm not a Donald Trump uh, personality fan, but what I say to people, I say, you don't read a one bad thing that Biden has done, but you don't read a one good thing that Trump has done. And they both have done bad and good things, right? But as I said, the media has, is so uh, hypocritic on on this and, and it to, to the, it's so blatant and... Um, so I said, like all the faux pas that Joe Biden makes, you know, calling his wife a sister, you, 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 I'm sure you've seen them, and, and calling Camilla Harris a president and saying God save the Queen just recently after speech and all that. But they don't get a mention. Like if it was, if it had been Donald Trump, now why, uh, you know, he would have just been so ridiculed, right? Um, but he's not a globalist. And so, again, you know, people who aren't globalists, you know, and going along with the agenda of the powers to be today, 
do get come under a lot of media attack. That's a little different to, you know, the media attack on bringing it back to whether it's um, Destiny or City Impact Church or Life or Arise or one of the other mega churches in New Zealand. And um, But there is that, you know, I guess that anti-Christian um, thing that you mentioned that's in some people, not in everybody, of course. A lot of people love us, uh, which is great. And we love people. Um, we love all people. We reach out to all people. Everybody is welcome, and we try to reach out to all people. We're not biased and all that kind of stuff. And help. we help all the people that we feed and non-Christian people. You know, we're not just looking after ourselves. And um, But, you know, obviously there is a, what I call that antichrist spirit. Um, and it was in uh, Herald and Nero and all these people down through the ages that uh, attacked and persecuted the church, and it's, it's no different today, you know. Hmm. Well, you guys just continue on doing what it is that you do, isn't it? So that's, I mean, it, it's really the the survival. I mean, Christianity has survived all of this time, and it just shows that there is an element in that. If well, people, thing, if, Marie, if I could just say, hmm. because you know, a lot of people ask, and I and I saw a comment that you, you mentioned is, you know, what is the difference between our kind of our church and the traditional church? And I and I often say the message that we preach that Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, came from heaven to earth to die on the cross for the sin of mankind. That message is the same message that's been preached for 2,000 years by churches across the board who can call themselves Christian churches, right? And so that's the message we preach. The way that we package it is more contemporary. So we sit on softer seats. We sing contemporary songs with modern music and modern guitars and drums and smoke machines relevant to people today. And and so, you know, we, we have sermons that relate to people. So there's no like bells and smells, that if I use that term, or cloaks and daggers. So there's no religiosity that people don't understand and people, you know, uh, are confused over. It's interesting when people get married or buried, they do want a little bit of religion in their life there. But, you know, our churches are just, you know, we want to reach um, today's world. And so, you know, the way we do it, but the message is the same. So it's the same that's been preached for 2,000 years. So, so, and that's 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 what we really are about. Um, and all, all, like, as I said, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, that's what he was about too. And he's known for blood and fire, the fire, the gospel, you know. And because I got saved, God touched my life, and that's what burns in my heart. And I know God loves all people, and um, he doesn't discriminate. And, of course, he wants all people, he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to a knowledge of eternal life. So even you, Marie, as I'm talking to you, you said you've got an open mind, you've got an open heart. I bless you in the name of the Lord, and I hope and pray that that your uh, heart would be open and God opens up your eyes to him. Oh, thank you very much, Peter. And if other people want to check out your message or have a look at some of the amazing things that you do, I mentioned that website before. Let everybody know where they can find that. Yep. Uh, just cityimpactchurch.com, pretty easy. I don't even know if you have to say www these days, do you? <laughs> cityimpactchurch.com or petermortlock.com, and um, we're not hard to find. Everybody knows, I think, where we are that, that live in, in the surrounding district. We've obviously been around for quite a while now, having a, the national television program. We've been on TV for over, uh, coming up 20 years, I think, and um, that screens in our 252 countries around the world now. So, yeah, so love to anybody is welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much. I've been talking to Pastor Peter Mortlock from City Impact Church. Don't disappear. Marty is waiting in the wings with Media Matters here on Counterculture. And this is Reality Check Radio. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR.
Reality Check Radio. Radio. Radio.